Welcome to the River Fellowship Podcast. At River Fellowship, we desire to experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. This weekly, Pastor Daryl Anderson concludes a series titled The Exodus with Part 6, Experiencing God's Presence. Being in God's presence is a life-changing encounter. In this final message of the Exodus series, four distinct things happen when we commune with God. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. We have been in um, a series, and we're going to conclude that series today, entitled The Exodus, where we've been tracking with Moses and the Israelites as they leave the bondage of Egypt and they travel and pursue the promised land. And we've been pulling out truths and principles to help apply to our life. And so far, we've talked about the call that we need to answer and respond to. We've talked about the move, which is required when we answer the call. We've talked about the fight, those obstacles and issues that try to keep us from, from making the move to answer the call. We've talked about the desert and living life and glorifying God in the everyday uh, aspect of life. And last week, we started a two-part uh, sermon entitled The Presence Last week, we dealt with entering God's presence, and today we're going to finish this sermon series and this whole Exodus series with experiencing God's presence. We're going to pick it up in chapters 33 and 34, but last week, uh, when we talked about entering God's presence, we wrapped it around two words, consecration and habitation. Consecration is all about Jesus Christ. He's the one that consecrated us, made us holy, separated us from sin and separated us under God. The Spirit is the one about habitation that dwells within us. So we enter God's presence through Jesus, but we walk intimately in God's presence every day via the Holy Spirit. So today, as we talk about experiencing God's presence, I want to kind of take up from where we left off last week and just carry it a little bit step, a step further about how do we experience God's presence? What's involved in experiencing God's presence? And this is not a, an all-encompassing word about God's presence. We're just gonna pull out some things that we see here in these, these two chapters in, in Exodus. But to get some context, we have to talk a little bit about chapter 32. Chapter 32 is when the Israelites make the golden calf. Moses is up on the mountain with God, and the Israelites, who are already rebellious, uh, get bored. Uh, they get discouraged. They get frustrated. Moses is up there way too long, and they don't know what to do. They're tired of living there in the desert. And so they have Aaron make them this golden calf from all their jewelry, and then they worship the calf. Scripture says they became involved in revelry. In other words, they probably just full out did pagan idolatry worship, revelry and, and, and immorality. They just, they just went just like the pagans worshiped. It was so bad that it angered God to the point that God said, I'm going to destroy them. He calls them stiff-necked. That means stubborn and rebellious and very difficult. So bad that God says, I'm just going to wipe them out and I'm just going to start over with Moses. Well, Moses pleads on the behalf of the Israelites and says, God, don't do that. So he begs and pleads for the Israelites. And so God relents and he treats them with grace and mercy instead of with judgment and condemnation. Now, he does send a plague for some of those that initiated it. So there was some consequence to that sin, but he treats them with grace and mercy. So it's in the context of all of that, the idolatry, God wanting to 
erase them. Moses saying, no, don't. All of that context, we're getting out of chapter 33, verse 1. He says, then, which is just a reminder of all of this. Now then, as a result of that, it says, then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. This is an ominous passage. <laughs> God's gonna hold faithful to his promise. I'm gonna... You're going to go into the land that I've promised you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to send an angel to, to do away with the enemy so you can live there where I promised you to live, but I'm not going with you. Well, in verse 15, we see Moses' response. And in verse 15, Moses said to, to him, if, you're, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here. Moses responds and basically says, no way, God, there's no way. If you're not going with us, we're not going either. Moses, in essence, is saying, I would rather spend the rest of my life in the desert, wandering around in your presence than to go in that place of promise and not have your presence with me. What was it about the presence of God that Moses understood that he would make that kind of statement? Well, we're going to see it here in chapters 33 and 34. Moses understood the dynamic. He understood what takes place with God's presence. He understood what happens outside of God's presence, what happens within God's presence. And he said, I want to live my life in the presence of God, so I'm not going if you're not going. So that gives us now some application of experiencing God's promise. Last week, we, we um, talked about entering God's presence, wrapped it around two words, consecration, habitation. This morning, experiencing God's presence, I want to wrap it around two words as well, commitment and communion. And the first aspect here is commitment. To experience God's presence requires a commitment on our part. We could call it intentionality, if you will. Look in verse 7. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Now this is not the tent of meeting that was the tabernacle. It was to come later. This was a tent that just anybody could kind of go in and meet with God. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to the tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. What we see here is interesting is God provides this experience in this place, but Moses had to have an intentionality about entering and experiencing God's presence. Verse 8 says Moses went out to the tent. Verse 9, Moses went in to the tent. If you go all the way back to chapter 3, verse 3, Moses approaches the burning bush. He could have ignored it, but he approaches the burning bush. In chapter 19, we see that Moses leads the people out specifically and intentionally to meet with God. In chapter 19, verse 20, as the Lord descends down on Mount Sinai, it says that Moses intentionally goes up into the mountain. So we see that Moses takes some very specific, intentional actions to meet with God. The principle is for us to experience God, there has to be an intentionality and a commitment to initiate 
in that experience. If you remember last week, we talked about the, the concept of uh, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And because the Spirit lives in us, we are never out of God's presence because God's presence is always in us. But I also said that the Spirit can live in us like a stranger living in a house. He may occupy space, but there's no intimacy. There's residence, but there's not habitation and intimacy. For us to truly experience God's presence, there has to be that intimacy, and that intimacy requires some intentionality and a commitment to connect with God and to commune with God. Some people call this practicing the presence of God. Some people call this having devotion with God. Some people call this having a, a daily time alone with God. Some people try to accomplish this intimacy and this communion by, by coming to corporate worship where they're exposed and they have the opportunity to celebrate and to worship and to hear truth. Some people will do it by trying to pray all through the day, any pocket that they can, where they can pray without ceasing, if you will. Some people listen to worship music when they're in their car and when they're home. These are all avenues and ways to intentionally be in God's presence and to connect with God. And that's what's involved is this intentionality to be in his presence. Spiritually speaking, if we want to experience God, we have to go into the tent. We have to go up on the mountain and say, I have a desire and a heart to experience God. So if you desire to experience God's presence more, you just have to be more intentional about doing it which leads us to the second word, and that's communion. What is experiencing God's presence all about? Well, in one word, it's about communion. It's not about communication. That's a part of it. But it's much bigger. It's about communion. Communion means closeness. It means relationship, this intimacy that takes place. Look in verse 10. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent... They all stood and worshiped, each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. This is a fascinating verse for me, that God speaks to Moses face to face just like you would speak to a friend. We see this commitment that Moses had to want to be in God's presence, but we also see the initiation of God to make the whole thing start. We see that all through Exodus. In chapter 3, verse 3, Moses approaches the burning bush, but it's only because God has appeared in the burning bush. And when Moses checks it out, God's the one that speaks up and begins to communicate. In chapter 9, verse 9, the Lord says to Moses, I'm coming to you in a dense cloud, which then Moses responds to. Later in chapter 19, the Lord descends on Mount Sinai, and then Moses comes up. So we talk about this commitment, but that commitment is a response. Every time Moses is making this intentional commitment to be with God, it's always in context of a response. God is the one that's initiating the movement. God's the one that's initiating the communion. It's a glorious thing to think that God is the one that desires communion with us. Way more than we ever desire communion with him. This is the way it's been all through, even with salvation. God's the one that initiated the relationship and closeness through sending his son, Jesus Christ, for us. 
God's the one who initiates relationship, closeness, and fellowship and communion through the Holy Spirit, the one that puts the Holy Spirit within us so that we can have that intimate closeness every day. So this commitment is a result of God's of, of connecting with us and taking the initiative. But in this dynamic of communion, in this verse, it's a fascinating verse to me. God talks to Moses face-to-face as a friend. Now, this word face-to-face, it, 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 it's talking about favor. Back in that day, probably still today, but when you would turn your face towards someone, that was a sign of favor. If you were to turn your face away, turn your back toward, that's a sign of rejection. So what God's really saying is, I'm, I'm turning to Moses in favor. He's treating Moses with favor, and he talks to him like he talks to a friend. It's interesting to me that God does not say that he talked to Moses as creator, or that God talked to him as the Lord Almighty, that God talked to him as the King of Kings, the Lord of hosts, that God talked to him as the great I am, although God is all of those things, but rather he talks to him as a friend. What's that indicating? That's indicating this dynamic of relationship and friendship. In this context of communion, what's taking place or what should be taking place, the goal of it is that there's this intimacy, there's this closeness, there's this fellowship, there's this relationship, and out of the communion with God comes a variety of things that we see here in this chapter that I want to look at. So in the context of communion, here's what you can expect to happen. Here is what can happen and will happen and should happen when you are communing with God. Here's the first thing. A calming. A calming takes place. Look in verse 13. If you are pleased, this is Moses speaking, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Now this is back in the context of chapter 32 when God's gonna destroy, they've, they've worshiped the calf, they're a stiff-necked people and God has said, I'm not going with you. Moses in response to all that is saying, I wanna continue to find favor but remember, these are your people. These are, these are your people. You've called me to work with your people. And I, you have to read between the lines, but I hear a lot of angst and a lot of pain and a lot of anxiety. You've called me to lead a million and a half difficult, stubborn, rebellious people who are prone to sin and all the logistics and all this stuff. And now you're not even going to go with me. And you can just hear the frustration, and the pain and the anxiety. And it, it, you can just understand he is completely unsettled. So God says, hey, okay. My presence will go with you, and I'll give you rest. Calm down. This rest has two definitions. One, it means to settle. To rest means to settle. And the idea is, when I am unsettled, God's presence will settle me will calm me, will give me rest. It's just like Jesus when he's on the water with the disciples and the storm is raging. And Jesus says, peace be still, and the storm calms. In God's presence, he can calm that raging storm that's in your spirit. 
The idea is that we can come to him with our pain, our anxiety, our fear, our worry, our heartache, our insecurity, our frustration, all of this stuff that begins to weigh on us and, and unsettle us and begin to rip us apart in our spirit. We can bring all of those things to him and in his presence, he takes them and he brings calm and rest. It doesn't just mean settle though, it also means to place or to be placed. And the idea, what part of the idea is we take all this stuff, all this fear, anxiety, all this stuff that's weighing on us and we, we just place it on him and he takes it. And so now we're at rest. But the word's actually much deeper than that. The word actually means I'm not just going to place all the fear and anxiety and worry on him. I'm actually going to place myself in his arms. And when I'm placed in his arms, he holds me and he loves me and he communes with me and he takes all the anxiety and all the pain and all the fear and it just goes away. It's a word picture. For those of us that are parents, grandparents, those times when your child or your grandchild, something happens that causes tremendous trauma. They get hurt. They, they get afraid. They're, they're scared. They get frustrated. They get whatever. But man, they're, they're distraught and they're in trauma and they're crying and they come running to you. And what do you do? You pick them up and you just hold them. And you just keep holding them while they're crying and whatever they're doing. But you just continue to hold them. And after a few moments, man, they just begin to relax. That fear goes and that worry goes and that anxiety goes. You didn't say anything to them. You just held them. That's the word picture. We're able to take that fear and that anxiety and that insecurity and that pain and all that stuff that's creating havoc in our spirit and we just crawl in the arms of God and he holds us. And pretty soon, it's rest. That should happen. That does happen. That can happen as you experience God. Not to be very personal, but throughout the years, there have been times in my life where fear or heartache or pain has just gripped me. And I can remember during some of those times when I would try to talk to God, I couldn't even talk to God. There are times I would just say, why? That was the only word that could come out of my mouth. So for, it seemed like an hour, I'm just crying out, why? There were some times I couldn't even express that. It was just weeping, just, just crying and not able to communicate at all. There have been some times just because of some past physical things that fear would grip me. It's like the enemy just kind of put me in a noose. And so I'm just gripped with fear. And in those times, I didn't need to talk to God because I couldn't. I needed God to hold me. And he did. And that's what God's presence is about. It's taking all this stuff that is wearing me out all the attacks of the enemy that just seems to continue to come and come, you run into his arms, he holds you. And there's rest. Something else happens, though. 
and his presence. And that's captivation. When we spend time in God's presence, he will captivate us. Look in verse 18. This is another, this is a, this is a bold request of Moses. It's fascinating. Moses says in verse 18, now show me your glory. Not only did he say, hey, if you're not going, I'm not going. <laughs> Pretty bold comment. Now, God, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. Where my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face you must not see. What we see here is Moses being captivated by the presence of God. He says, God, show me your glory. And so God, in essence, says, okay. Now, I can't show you all of it because you're not going to live. You're not going to be able to handle it. But I will show you my goodness, and I will show you my glory, at least enough of it for you to really understand who I am in all my glory and all my goodness. So what we're seeing here is Moses has seen God. He's experienced God. He's been in God's presence. He's been in this communion with God, and he wants more. It's captivating him. To be captivated means to be enthralled by, to be fascinated by, to be captured, to be overwhelmed, to be in awe. And he's seen the goodness of God. He's seen the, the glory of God. And he's just being overwhelmed with it. He's, he's experiencing Psalm 34, 8. He has tasted God and he has seen that he is good. If you're around my age, you may remember the, the lace potato chip commercial. The tagline was, you can't eat just one. Anybody remember that commercial? And it was image. It was either a guy or maybe a lady. They got this big bag of potato chips, and so they would just pull out one potato chip, and they would eat it, and they would pause, and then they look around, so he's looking. And I, you know, it's just, the whole idea is you couldn't just eat one. It's so good. It's so delicious. You just have to eat and eat and eat and eat. That's what... Moses is experiencing here when he says, show me your glory. He has gotten the taste of God. And he said, that's not enough. And he just has to have more. God, show me more and more and more of who you are. That's what's taking place in Moses' life. He's being captivated. The principle is the more we experience God's presence, the more we want to experience God's presence. Because we begin to see his glory. And you can hopefully begin to see a pattern here. The pattern is we make this commitment to be very intentional about having communion with God, to being responsive to his initiation of this relationship. And as we spend time in this communion, we begin to experience this calming. We begin to experience this captivation. It's a, it's a question that we've got to ask each of us, and that is, has God captured your heart? Are you captivated by his glory and by his goodness? Just think about his goodness for a moment. He created you. He sent his son to die on a cross for you. He desires for you to live with him eternally. He is preparing a place for all of those who have given their life to Jesus Christ. His love for you is unconditional. 
The joy he gives is uncontainable. The peace he offers is inexpressible. And the power he provides is unstoppable. Think about his glory. He is the creator of all things. He's the sustainer of all things. He's the provider of all things. He is the one who is all full of power and glory and honor and praise. Earth is his footstool. Heaven is his throne. He is clothed and dressed in light. Heaven doesn't even need the sun. Heaven doesn't need a light because his glory will fill all of the heavens. When we understand his goodness and his greatness, it should captivate our heart where we desire him more and more and more. That leads to a a third dynamic that takes place in communion, and that's conviction. If we jump to chapter 34 in verses 8 and 9, now the context is Moses is back up on the mountain with God. He's, he's, re, he's redoing the tablets because he broke the first pair with the idol. So now Moses says in 34.8, says that he bowed down to the ground at once and worshiped. Oh Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, he said, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. It's another very interesting passage because it's a reference again back to chapter 32 when they sin with the idol and they worship the idol. You have to remember Moses. Moses was not worshiping the idol. Moses was on the mountain with God. It was the Israelites worshiping the idol. But Moses says in this passage, God, forgive our wickedness. Forgive our sin. He didn't have to say that. He could have said, God, I was with you. Forgive their wickedness. Forgive their sin. They're the ones that did it, not me. They're guilty. I'm innocent. But Moses could not say that. Why? Because he understood himself. He had been experiencing God's goodness and God's glory. He had seen God in all of his majesty and glory and goodness. And he realizes, woe is me. He cries out really just like Isaiah cries out. I am a person of unclean lips. The principle is when we see God in all of his goodness and glory, that shines a light on us (laughs) and we see our sinfulness. Moses understood, I didn't worship the idol but I'm sinful too. I didn't commit that sin, but man, I've committed many others. I'm not innocent. He understood that and it it leads to conviction and to confession. You know what the worst sins are? The worst sins are yours, not mine. Your sins are worse than mine or so we want to act. We want to look at what other people are doing and say, man, they are not. When we understand God's presence and his glory, we understand Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But what's even more glorious about this whole dynamic is even understanding who Moses is and his own sinful humanity, that God still communes with him as a friend. You never see any condemnation here. You never see any judgment. You see grace. You see mercy. You see love. Here's a great thing about conviction and confession. 
We should never be afraid of that. We should never run from that. Because what it is, it's a sign of the communion I'm having with God. It's a sign that I'm so intimate. I'm seeing God. I'm experiencing God. And yes, it's exposing things in me. But that exposure is going to get that stuff out of me. And I don't ever have to worry about God treating me with condemnation or judgment. I can lay that sin before him. I can confess that sin before him. And he's going to receive it through his son with grace and mercy and love and forgiveness so that that communion continues to manifest. So when you enter God's presence and you feel conviction Confess it. Shout hallelujah. Because that means God's doing a work in your life. There's one final thing I see that I'm just going to mention, and that's clarity. In the rest of chapter 34, we just see that God begins to speak to Moses and says, Moses, I'm going to do this. And Moses, I want you to do this. And in that communion time, he gives very clear direction. I'm doing this very specifically. Moses, very specifically, I want you to do this. When we spend time in God's presence, when we commit to that time to allow God to minister to us and speak to us, he's going to give us clarity. As James says, if we lack wisdom, we can ask of God. He'll give it. So what Proverbs is saying is that if I'll acknowledge him, that he'll direct my paths and he will give me direction. So when we have decisions that we have to make, God, should I go here? Should I go there? Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I say yes to that? Should I say no to that? God, should I take this job? Whatever the issue is, when you need clarity in your life, clarity in your calling, clarity in your purpose, clarity in decisions, you can find it in God's presence. So really the question, or that's not a question, for me, is our heart the same as Moses when he says, if your presence does not go with me, then don't send me. The heart that says, the greatest desire of my heart is to be in connection, in communion with you. Great passage, Psalm 62.1, that says, in God alone I find rest. I find my rest in God alone. So if you need calming today, there's nothing and no one else that will give you the rest you need other than God. And if you need to be captivated this morning in God's glory, God's goodness, just ask him, God, show me your glory you're experiencing conviction this morning, don't run from it. Just confess it before the Lord. Say, God, forgive me of my sin. And with his grace and his mercy, he'll say, okay. So you have that communion. If you're here this morning and you, man, you've got some, some foggy, foggy mind on some issues, just ask God, God, give me clarity so I know the decision to make. My encouragement for this whole series now is that you would answer the call. That you would make the move. That you would fight the fight. 
that you would glorify God even in your every day and that you would live in captivated communion with God. Would you bow with me? Thanks for listening. We truly hope that you are blessed and encouraged. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org.